You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Now, I don't want to stop there for just a minute. I'm not sure that's true on a physical level. I don't know for sure. But I don't believe at 85 you're as strong as you were at 40. But let me tell you something. You can be stronger at 85 by faith than you were at 40. And I think that's what he's talking about. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. As we get older, our physical strength wanes. However, we also mature in faith and grow stronger in the Lord. In today's message, Pastor Danny encourages the aged and weak to be strong in the Lord by looking to Joshua, the general of Israel, to encourage us. Joshua revealed that he was stronger as an 80-year-old man than he was at 40. The reason is because Joshua's prayer life and faith in God's provision had increased steadily throughout the years. As his faith grew, his effectiveness also increased. Now here's Pastor Danny with part two of his message, Lessons from an Old Giant Killer, from the book of Joshua, chapters 13 and 14. Notice what God says. God does not mince words. Look at chapter 13. You have to know, I mean, I just love God. Listen to what he says to Joshua. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you're very old. (laughs) He just don't mince words. He doesn't say, you know, you've matured over the years. He said, dude, you are old. And well advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you're very old. And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Now you stop and pause on that one for a minute. And let me tell you, I know, I know what God is not saying to Joshua. Here's what I know Joshua is not hearing from the Lord. It's not what the Lord's saying. You're too old to do it anymore. Pass the baton. You know, in your younger days, you can go out and fight some giants, and God gave you great victory. But have you looked in the mirror lately? You're too old. God's not saying you're too old. He just said you're old. And there's a lot more yet to conquer. Now, how do I know that God's not saying pass the baton? Don't go out to battle anymore. How do I know that? You just look at it in the context. Now, before we look at it in the context, I was reminded of something Pete Fro in our fellowship gave me probably a little over a year ago. Gave me a T-shirt. I really one of my favorite T-shirts, and it says right here, a little thing says, "Old guys rule." 
You know, when somebody gives you a t-shirt like that, you go away and start to meditate on it, and you think, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Was, that, was he trying to be encouraging, or was he just saying, you're old, dude? I'm like most males, whether we admit it or not. I'm not extremely observant sometimes. My wife and I were at Bush Gardens the other day just walking around. I love to go over there and look at the animals and walk and get exercise. And we, sometimes we're just there for an hour, you know. It take longer to drive over there than it does to walk around, but we'd love to do it. And we're there, and, 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 and we said, I said, look, this trip, here's what we're going to do. We're going to notice things we've never noticed before, and I'm a Busch Gardens expert. And with my wife with me, she begins to say, did you notice that? And I go, I've never noticed that. And it's very humbling when you're with your wife because, you know, she, points, she probably pointed out four things that day that I had never noticed at Busch Gardens before. And you know what I never noticed since I had this T-shirt? I never noticed it. Now, I knew it on the front. It said, old guy's rule, but I don't look on the back a whole lot because it's on my back, right? Well, it says larger letters, old guy's rule, but then right underneath that, right underneath that, here's what it says, on permanent vacation. And I don't know if Pete saw that when he bought the shirt. He's a guy too. He probably didn't notice it. Now, I like the old guy's rule, but on permanent vacation is not biblical. I don't know what your goal is. I don't know what retirement means to you, but I can tell you what it means to God. Retirement is called heaven. And if you believe the American dream lie, is you just want to stack it up, build it up, so that you can take all the trips you want to take and go to the places you never got to go and walk on the beach and look for seashells. What a pitiful, pitiful life. Some 40 years before, it was Caleb who stepped forward. He was the first voice of faith among a faithless people. And then after he spoke up, Joshua said, yeah, yeah, Caleb, that's it. But even though they're joining forces, two voices now of faith, they still couldn't convince the rest of the people. Watch what happens here. Chapter 13, when Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you're very old, and there's still very large areas of land to be taken over. And then he starts listing the land that remains. And then chapter 13 lists some of the inheritance that Moses gave to the other tribes. Then you get to chapter 14, and it opens this way. Now, these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, past victories. And then you get to verse 6 of chapter 14. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions, convictions of faith. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however... Follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked 
will be your inheritance and that of your children. You're going to pass something on to your kids because you follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Now, I don't want to stop there for just a minute. I'm not sure that's true on a physical level. I don't know for sure. But I don't believe at 85 you're as strong as you were at 40. But let me tell you something. You can be stronger at 85 by faith than you were at 40. And I think that's what he's talking about. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites, the giants, were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out just as he said. Give me that giant. And then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Now, I love the little note here in the parenthesis in verse 15. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. He was the 36-foot guy. And Caleb went in at 80 five years old and cleaned his clock. You don't want to be a grandkid of Caleb. Any Caleb granddads here? The title was easy. Lessons from an old giant killer. And if you let it go in this ear and out this ear and all you've done is come to a church service, I feel sorry for you. But if you listen for the last few minutes and then become like Caleb, what do you learn from this guy? Perseverance. That's the first thing. 45 years. 45 years. 45 years. 45 years of what? Being around a bunch of faithless, grumbling people. People that just complained about life and complained about not being able to do it. Ah, we like that, but we can't do it. And why did God do this? And why is this happening? I mean, faithless people. And Joshua and Caleb had to endure that for 40 plus years of being around, being in that kind of a church. I mean, sit around. I've, I've sat around. It's so miserable. I've sat around at times among fellow pastors. And when we talk about a vision and, and stepping out and maybe a new open door and all the reasons why we can't do it, it makes me sick. Don't tell me all the reasons why we can't do it. If it's God leading us, if it's God leading us, I don't care how big it is. It doesn't matter. Hebrews 10, 36, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. And sometimes you've got to wait for it. Sometimes it's not your fault that you've got to wait for it. That was Caleb. He had to wait. Even Joshua both, they'd have been in bathing in the, in the, in the streams of the land of promise, eating the grapes, and they'd have been enjoying all that, but they couldn't convince the other leaders. 
Third John, or second John, that little, little letter in the New Testament, verse 8. Listen to it. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. The context of that text is continuing to walk in truth practically, doctrinally. Paul wrote to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And the context of that is that you might receive the promises of God. You can, you can get discouraged, and you can say, well, God just never meant to do it. I mean, Abraham got perplexed. He and Sarah, because they went years and years and years, and they're beyond physically being able to have children. But God wanted to do a miracle, and he did do a miracle. And you may be going, I've been waiting, I've been praying for this for years and years and years and years. God must not want me to have it. How do you know that? Don't give up. You say it would take a miracle. Right on. Have you forgotten the God you serve? And then when he does it, he's the only one that can get the credit. So sometimes you just get discouraged. But then other times you get tired of waiting and you go do something stupid. Sometimes you just, you know, you, you let your guard down and you take a break from the battle like David did and you go out and there's Bathsheba and you know that story. You know what God said to him after that? Let me read you one little segment. Second Samuel chapter 8, and God reminds him of all the blessing he'd given him. Gave him family and, and, and kingship and all the material things that came with it. And here's what God said. All this, if all this had been too little, I would have given you more. I wasn't stopped. I, I, didn't, I wasn't ready to stop blessing you. But why'd you go do something so stupid? And he had the one night stand, and then he tried to cover it up, and it didn't work, and he plotted and he planned, and he murdered Bathsheba's husband. And one mistake after another, and it forfeited future blessing. Now, let me put a little footnote there. If you look back and there's been failure, if you look back and maybe you're older now, maybe God looks at you or you look in the mirror, you go, you old, dude. And you look back and you say, I made this mistake and that mistake. And I, you know, maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're divorced more than once. But you know, you look back at all the mistakes. Here's, here's the wonderful thing about our God. You can't go back and change it. And so stop beating yourself up over it. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Some people sitting around now and they're crying in their beer. Just shut up, will you? Because that's faithless. That's faithless. You're living in some morbid world where you're just disappointed in all the mistakes you made. Well, get over it. Get it under the blood and look ahead. Because even though you may have forfeited blessing in the past, there's blessing for you in the future if you just grab it by faith and get back up and face the giant in your life. Oh, you're getting me worked up this morning. You must really need this. Perseverance, patience, 
patience. And James 5, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We consider them blessed who have persevered. And there you have patience and perseverance in one verse. Because if you're going to persevere, you're going to need patience. Then it mentions Job. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. In the context of Job, it wasn't anything he did wrong. It wasn't anything Caleb did wrong to have to spend 40, 40 plus years with a faithless generation. Look at Job. What did he do? All the things that happened in his life. You talk about being perplexed. You talk about being in a position to just throw in the towel. His wife's saying, just curse God and die. And he said, shall we accept good from God and not evil? Are we not going to trust him in the bad times just like we do in the good times? And then after Job suffered, who knows how many years, God restored him twice as much. Twice as much in the end. Don't you give up. I don't care how old you are. Don't you give up. Perseverance, patience. And the third one, this is one that's, boy, this is one that's challenging. Zeal. Romans 12, 11. Don't be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Now, I wish he'd have given us five points under that to tell us exactly how to do that. He doesn't. How do you keep your zeal? That's a hard one to answer. You stop moping around. When you feel, when you feel like giving up, you by faith say, I, may, I feel like quitting, but by faith I'm not going to. I feel like just walking on the beach and looking for seashells the rest of my life. Well, you feel like doing it, but don't do it. Go get two seashells, put them on the shelf, and get back to work. Nobody needs more than two seashells. I mean, if they're nice ones. Zeal. God's renewed my zeal. I don't know if you can tell. And I don't know if you realize. And, I, and we ain't, we ain't going to get off on a focus on Danny. But I'm going to tell you what. There's a testimony standing right here. I'm going to tell you that. And I say that humbly. I am so, I am so I am so excited, I can hardly contain myself. I, every time I drive to this facility, I look around. I have never in 34 years of pastoring been in the heart of a residential community, and it's all I can do to hold back from going out. Me and Jairus both, we're chomping at the bit, and others are too. Dan and others around, we're chomping at the bit to go out and reach this community. And some of you have to leave the church, so we have to give them a place to sit. You know, by church growth standards, we're 80% full, you're full. Well, we're full. But I've never gone by the church standards. When the choir's full, we're full. Some of you join the choir, and then you quit. You get your best view of me right up there. I don't know why in the world you wouldn't take that seat every week. I got so much zeal now. We had a calendar planning meeting with a, with a core group of our leaders yesterday. It was one of the most delightful meetings I've ever been in my life. It was filled with faith. It was no negativity. It was no, well, we can't do that. How are we going to do that? It's like, yeah, let's go get them. Filled with laughter. And then we walked. It was just a great meeting. The eagle has eight times as many visual cells per cubic centimeter than a human. This translates into some pretty astounding capabilities. Flying at 600 feet elevation, an eagle can spot an object the size of a dime moving through six-inch grass. 
It can see three-inch fish jumping in a lake three miles away. I like to see that when I'm in the Gulf of Mexico looking for, <laughs> looking for fish. It sees what others miss. Everybody knows the story of David, right? David, where he goes out, and as a young man, he faces Goliath. And everybody's shocked because David is too young to go out. He's too young to go out and face a giant like Goliath. And even King Saul tries to put his own armor on David. And David walks around and tries it out. And David says, I can't go out like this. I'm not used to this. You, you serve him when he was watching the sheep. And a lion had come. And I'd go. And I, I took the lion by the, by the mane. And God delivered the lion into my hands. A bear coming. I go and I kill the bear. And as God delivered the lion and the bear in my hands, so this Philistine will be nothing. And we love the story of young David. And we go, yeah, man, young and full of courage and full of faith. And it hit me. Yesterday, after I finished the majority of the notes for this study, that this story is the exact opposite. And yet it's the same. David goes out and you go, you're just a youth. You're just a You can't go out and face that giant. David goes, what are you talking about? You know the God I serve? And here's a young man full of faith. And if you think this message is for old people, you are right. But if you think it's only for old people, you are wrong. Caleb, 45 years later. And now I picture Caleb. He comes out. He got his walker. I'm just as strong today as I was 45 years ago. And them giants, when he comes into the land with his walker, they say the same thing they said to David. They say, what are you little pipsqueak? I'm going to feed you. I'm, you're, you're a flea. And David said, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And people are going, that's ridiculous. No, that's faith and that's courage. And you see somebody now and you say, you say, oh man, I've you got a lot of stories to tell, don't you? Yeah, but they're not as good as the one that I'm going to tell. Because I'm not done yet. You say, what can I do? What are you talking about? Somebody said that to Corey Ten Boom once, and I don't know if you know that name. I had surviving Nazi Germany and all that and, and becoming a tremendous woman of faith and having a great large ministry. But in her waning years, in her older years, when she's rec- she can't, even get around on a walker. She's assigned to a hospital bed. And Pastor Chuck Smith was used by the Lord to go to her and say, Corey, your greatest ministry may yet be ahead of you. And she became more of a prayer warrior. And the battle she fought and the battle she won from a hospital bed in some ways greater than the battle she won with a worldwide ministry.
The people of Israel weren't equipped to fight battles. They had no military training and little provisions to speak of as they entered a land already occupied by people they themselves described as giants. God had committed to giving them the land though, and they were ready to trust his promise no matter what he asked them to do. As we continue to study in the book of Joshua, we'll discover just how faithful God is, but also how strange his methods can seem at times. Is God doing something strange in your life right now? Or is he asking you to do something that makes no sense at all? If so, trust him. He's got a plan up his sleeve, and as we learn from the book of Joshua, his plans always work out. And when it's successful, God will be the only one who will be able to take the glory. We know how hard the journey of faith can be, so we'd like to support you in prayer. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Living Word. Pastor Danny will continue this verse-by-verse study of Joshua on our next edition. But right now, you can hear more by visiting our website ccfstpete.church. There you'll also be able to learn more about Pastor Danny and the church these messages originate from, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We'd like to meet you, so if you're in the area, please come join us for one of our weekend services. You'll find all the information you need at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time for more from Joshua right here on The Living Word.